In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data. So we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, overlooking the hills of western New York, it's the Computer Exorcist Podcast. It is the 10th of September, 2023, a year that has been very, very good to me. Uh, Within the next month or two, I will be doing this show from a different location. It'll be the Wallace Memorial microphone somewhere else. Um, I'm acquiring a new home. I'm moving there. So you'll uh, get to hear about that when it occurs. So I'm Mark Anthony Arena. I am your computer exorcist. I'm so glad you're here. I want to give a shout out to Professor Frank, who's a family friend, and he informed me that he's been following the show. So thanks so much for listening, and I hope I continue to make you proud. I've been contemplating my issue here. I've got a backlog, right? I got three years of backlog articles. And I'm, yes, obviously, now that I'm doing four episodes a month, you know, that's two hours of content every month. And in theory, I should be able to digest more of these. Whereas before I was doing 45 minutes a month, that's an hour long episode minus commercials with the old show. So in theory, I can fit more than twice as much content. Uh, But lately, I've been getting carried away with all these wonderful interviews. So I'm not digesting the backlog of articles as quickly as I should. So one of the things I keep on my desk is a Chinese finger trap. And you'll see this in my next two books that I'm going to release in the next couple of years uh, about different principles I've learned about life is uh, one of my favorite concepts is the Chinese finger trap, right? you the harder you squeeze when you get your fingers stuck in a chinese finger trap the harder you squeeze the the more nowhere you get right you get nowhere but if you just relax and yes you have to do the actual work of pulling your fingers out so it's a combination of both relaxing and doing the appropriate amount of work as opposed to wasted effort when you squeeze too hard right so if you relax and do the work you'll get out of whatever pickle you're in And that's a huge concept, and I can't wait. Y'all don't even know how many great concepts I have coming for you. 
this this whole computer thing is just the beginning, right? It actually led me, all of my tribulations in the past decade with the computer industry have taught me greater truths about the universe and about how life works and how about how people are and that sort of thing. Um, so I had to take advantage of those truths as I learned them in order to get out of my predicament of being so massively overwhelmed with my job. Anyway, so I'm going to apply that here. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to relax, you know, instead of being that dutiful, fastidious guy that I usually am, where I, I want to cover every article and every aspect of every article. I'm just going to go through them, toss any that are redundant, group any that need to be together. So I have an episode of all similar articles instead of hopping around and just generally stay relaxed about it and not try to overachieve, right? Um, there, there is something to not overachieving. So that'll be hopefully, you know, once I, I see some progress there where I'm digesting the articles at a faster rate than I take them in, because by the way, between listener Matt and Dr. Mike and, and a few others, I take in more articles than I can digest, right? So the incoming rate is higher than the rate at which I, I can get them out on the air. So anyway, hopefully that will allow me, you know, if I just skim the surface, right, instead of instead of dunking the uh, water skis into the water, I just skim the surface and that's how I continue to, how I will continue to move more swiftly. Does that make sense? Okay, folks. We're going to digest a couple of said articles today. Hope you're in the mood. So here we go, just you and me. 15th January 2021, Bloomberg.com. BMW ends its car subscription service while Porsche drives on. I'm not one of those guys who says Porsche. I just, hey, when you're, you know, when in English, do as the English do, so I just call it a Porsche. Um... If you had planned to borrow a BMW M5 for a weekend touring of the Grand Old Opry and Johnny Cash Museum, you're out of luck. BMW has canceled the subscription service. It began in 2018 in Nashville, so I guess it was like a pilot city. A spokesman for the brand said the $2,000 a month uh, Netflix for Cars program would end in January. Um, the program had reached its capacity limits, the spokesman said, and who knows what that actually means. The company declined to share how many subscribers had signed up to use Access by BMW. But the Nashville option was never intended as more than just a pilot. It offered two tiers of enrollment. Entry level was 2000 a month to use the X5 as well as the 4 and 5 series sedans. Uh, premium levels paid 3700 to drive the M4, M5, M6 sedans as well as the X5 and X6M versions. Notably, the highest-end executive saloon, the 7 Series, was not available. You know, it's funny because I read a lot of car magazines uh, over the past pile of years since I was a teenager. I was obsessed with the freedom that the automotive industry gave you. And I still, I'm still a little behind on my reading. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And I've got a lot of car magazines from 2019 that I'm still trying to go through. And they're all saying 2018, 2019, they're lauding this, the, the advent of car rentals, and you'll never own a car again, and you're just going to rent one, and you'll never own anything again, you'll just rent it from the cloud, and you'll have to get used to a new one every day, and you won't be able to keep stuff in it, because you'll have to get a new one all the time. 
and then COVID happened. Oops. And then all of a sudden, it became a fearful thing to do these ride-sharing and car sharing and rental and rental is quite inefficient right i mean leasing in and of itself is quite inefficient aside from it being more expensive because you're paying that first year fee every year aside from that it just it's quite inefficient because you get a car and you're like whatever i'm just gonna use it for a year so i'll just abuse it and then you abuse it and then some poor sap buys it and then has to deal with all your problems and then throws it away early right if you own your own car from day one you're gonna treat it better so aside from all those many issues, look, I mean, it was cool. Look, if I had the bucks, if I had the bucks to say, hey, you know what? I'm bored. Um, I'll sign up for Netflix for 12 bucks a month. And then I'm going to sign up for 3,700 bucks a month for this BMW subscription thing, you know, and, and it'd be kind of neat. I suppose if I was traveling a lot, it, w- it would actually, hey, come to think of it. <laughs> Never mind, folks. Come to think of it, I'm converted. You know, if I was traveling a lot, like I, I really sincerely hope to do a book tour and a speaking tour in in the next year or two here. Um, so if you're in non-Rochester, please give me a call and and invite me to whatever venues you have. But look, if if I was a member of that, it would make a ton of sense, right? I land in a city. I'm a member of this BMW subscription thing. I don't have to go hope that there's a rental car available and pay a hundred bucks a a day or whatever, right? that come out to be three grand a month. Um, I could just land and find a way to get to the BMW subscription thing and just grab a nearby car, right? Just probably walk around a parking lot until I find a nearby car and grab a nice BMW X5M and roll with it um, and use it as long as I want. You know, again, if I had that much money and if I was that bored, sure, that's kind of fun and convenient, okay? If I lived in a huge city, sure, I don't want to pay, because you're paying three grand a month for parking or, or more a lot of times in a huge city. So, hey, look, you know, there it makes total sense where instead of paying three grand a month for a parking spot and three grand a month for a, a lease or a, a, on an expensive car or whatever, hey, you know what, for three grand a month, or, or again, the lower tier is only two grand a month, you know, for two, two to four grand a month, all right, I live in a big city. I don't have to worry about maintaining a car that I probably only use occasionally. And you know what? I don't have to, to worry about housing it anywhere and insuring it and all that. Then sure, I might go with this car subscription. Or honestly, I'd probably just go with Zipcar because it's you pay per use and it's still the same benefits. Okay, fine. So you just on-demand access to a car. It's not ownership. It's access to a car. All right. And, and by the way, politicians have perverted the word access, uh, where they actually mean free. And they say the word access, but they actually mean free. So anyway, I would truly have access to a car if I did this BMW access program. Oh, yeah, right. They even call it that, right? Yeah, but yeah, access by BMW. Okay, cool. So that's, that's aptly named. Or, or Zipcar, right? Okay, great. So if I was going to have one of those, you know, it makes sense if I live in a huge city, but I don't. And I'm a car guy, all right? And, and you know, I was talking to my buddy Big Rick the other day, and shout out to Big Rick if you start listening to the, the podcast. He said he's got to get caught up on my shows. Um, but he said, Mark, I watched a documentary about trains, and why don't we have high-speed trains in America? And I said, you know what? I'm totally fine with that, with, with the rental cars and the speed trains in America, as long as you don't touch my real car that I own. All right, speed trains, I would love to take a train trip across America, and I could do so on Amtrak right now. I've been watching. There's actually YouTube people who do it, 
and you can watch them right now. Go on YouTube and look up Amtrak Train Across Country. And I do want to do that. It sounds awesome. So Amtrak or Speed Train, great. I, I would love that. And again, if I lived in a big city, I'd love this rental thing, right? I've known people who get the zip car once in a while and they take a road trip with it. Great. All I'm saying is you can take my car keys out of my cold, dead hands. I want to be able to own my own car where I keep my own tools and my own clutter and my own what I call a diaper bag, which is a party kit with bathing suit, uh, sandals, and a bath towel and that sort of thing. Sometimes cigars and snacks and all sorts of stuff, my coupons. I want to be able to have that if I if I can afford it and I want it, right? So and, and honestly it, it would might even make cars more affordable and it might even make the traffic jams less if, if the rest of you unwashed masses decided to go with those rental or train services. <laughs> make more room on the road for me. That's cool. But please, you know, a lot of times people will propose these solutions as a be-all and end-all. And computer guys love it. Oh, yes, this new idea we have, and we're going to deprecate everything old. We're going to have new. So trains and rental cars are great. Just please don't take away my ability to own my own cars. That's it. Um, I'm a car guy. So let's do another one here. Here's another BMW-related article from December of 2018, Roundel Magazine. Chris Wright is the author, and the article is A Hard Row to Hoe. And this is about right to repair, and I will keep discussing this over many, many episodes, and I, I have in the past, and I want to get some people on uh, who are in this industry who are starting to manufacture products that are repairable, to combat products from John Deere and Apple and others where they don't want you to repair them. <clears throat> you know, in my mind, that's a perk, right? That's a more ethical product if you're allowed to repair it. It's despicable if you design a product that the consumer is not allowed to repair, right? And shame on you if you call yourself an environmentalist and then create a product that's supposed to be thrown in the garbage, okay? Momentum has been building around the nation for something called the right to repair. In these polarized times, with red states and blue states, it is curiously heartwarming to note that the states which have thus far introduced right to repair legislation run the gamut from reliably conservative to unvaryingly liberal. Massachusetts passed right to repair in 2012 with 86% support. Um, 18 states in all have proposed such legislation. All these efforts to address the same thing. People's right to repair the stuff they own. I say that all the time. The products you thought you owned aren't yours. I say that all the time. <clears throat> so that's, that's my little quote. Um, so people's right to repair the stuff they own. When helping my father replace glow plugs on the late 50s John Deere tractor, uh, we did not need software support. John Deere has taken on the unaccustomed role of villain for its refusal to give customers the right to access or modify the source code of farm equipment software. All right, and I get it. You know, like if you're in a pickup truck or, or any kind of consumer car, you might not need the ability to get into the source code of a car, right? There's billions of evil computers in modern cars that govern how it behaves. And aside from like little preferences, like if you want the door to lock after a certain amount of time or whatever, you generally don't need that. But in the farming industry and the agriculture, right? If you've got some giant $250,000 uh, one-story, two-story tall 
uh, a tractor, okay, harvester, something like that, you kind of want to be able to modify it to do the very specialized things that you do with your very expensive product, okay? So in that case, you might want to modify how those evil computers behave, okay? Uh, back to, where were we? Uh, the farmer then said, it's helpful that they've undertaken to provide access to service manuals, product guides, and onboard diagnostics, but they did not rise to granting the right to repair. Farmers said they need access to the software that controls the tractor's engines, and the agreement retains key restrictions prohibiting the reprogramming of electronic control units, okay? Uh, a setting that might negatively affect emissions or safety in downloading or accessing the source code of any proprietary software, right? So a couple things here. Um, number one... Unfortunately, when you buy a lot of modern products, right, laptops and those evil smart TVs, when you cut the tape, the tape has a contract on there that says by cutting this tape, you agree that you allow us to do whatever we want to you. You you acknowledge that you're not allowed to modify this product or redistribute it or who knows that you're not allowed to resell it according to Microsoft products, not allowed to modify it, not allowed to anything. That's pure evil. This is a product, right? But the industry... The arrogance of Silicon Valley spilling over to other industries, these arrogant people don't consider this a product. They consider this a license agreement, okay? You are licensed to hold this product in your hand, but you do not own it, is what they're trying to say. Does that make sense, folks? Please tell your friends, okay? The right to repair thing, it's a movement that protects consumers against this scandalous behavior. It's just like when you had a home video, right? When you bought a home video, sure, you physically owned it and keep it in your closet forever. But, and back then you were allowed to resell it, but it said you agree to abide by the terms of this where you're not allowed to display it in public or copy it or so on. Okay, all right. And, and sure, copying is wrong and piracy is wrong. But, you know, I wrote my book about that whole mess about anti-piracy and, and the ineffective ways they've used to combat it. Anyway, point is, um, unfortunately, you know, they say the agreement retains key restrictions. When you buy a John Deere, apparently you're cutting a piece of tape that says you agree to abide by certain things. This ain't your tractor, okay? This is ours. We let you hold it in your garage and claim that it's yours. And for now, we're letting you resell it. But you're pretty much not allowed to do anything we don't want you to do with this thing. Shame on you, okay? And as far as the modifying the, the source code, right? So source code, and I've said this in plenty of episodes, in a nutshell, source code just means the recipe or the blueprints or the sheet music, right? It's just what you see there. It, it's the recipe. Um, it's what computer code was typed in order to get the results, right? So it's like if I come over to your house, you make me cookies, I like the cookies, I have no idea what's put into them unless you show me the recipe, right? So same thing here. Um, you would need the source code to see what's going on behind the software, right? I say this all the time. You have no clue what Microsoft and Apple do to you because they do not display the source code. You have no clue what information they're harvesting from you, all right? And, and they're very reckless, arrogant companies. Who knows what they're doing? So same thing with John Deere here. These farmers need the source code to A, understand how these things work, but B, more importantly, modify it. Right, so if you, all right, here's a great analogy. Here's here's on-the-fly analogy by Mark Arena here, okay? If you 
uh, make me cookies. I come over to your house and I say, hey, look, um, I'm allergic to dairy. Um, can we do something about this? And you say, hey, sorry, too bad it's baked. And I'm not going to tell you what ingredients I put in. I'm not going to tell you if I put any allergens in. Okay. This is a pretty good one. I like this. Uh, yeah, this is a good, especially because allergens are a hot topic. Um, so what if I said, look, all right, look, I like your cookies, but please, can I modify the recipe so you don't put something in there that's toxic to me? And that's the whole point. And, and if you say, okay, Mark, here's the recipe. All right, we could change it. Okay, great. That's cool. That's like the source code. It's the recipe. So what if a farmer needs to modify how the engine idles, right? It's not a mechanical part that's, that's in your hands anymore. Modifying engine idle and modifying all sorts of other things, how the, the arms, the tractor arms behave, all sorts of things. That's all controlled by evil software now. Software that's closed, and that's why it's evil. It's closed software, so you can't see the recipe, you can't modify the recipe, okay? So again, it's like, hey, I like your cookies, but I can't have dairy, so can we modify this? It, the farmers are saying, look, John Deere, we obviously like your equipment, but we need to modify some stuff here because we're expert people. We're not pinhead consumers here just driving to point A to point B. We're using these things for, for very important things. I mean, let's think about industrial machinery. Same deal. What if you bought a factory machine and you're going to start manufacturing parts and the manufacturer of the machine says, shame on you, you're not allowed. Okay. So how does this relate to us? Um, it's interesting to note among the most vigorous companies lobbying for restrictions is John Deere and Apple. Just like I said, repair is a highly profitable business and Apple's lobbied aggressively for its refusal to allow third-party repair stores access to parts and information. And side note, what Apple did is they said, look, if we can't repair this stuff at our stores to make it profitable for us, right? Just like your, your Chevy dealer, you know, they make more money on you from repairs than they do from the initial sale, right? So same thing with Apple. They... They make they sell you the product, they make money, but they also make money on the continual repairs. So what happened recently with Apple since since this article came out is Apple said, you know what, if we can't repair it, nobody can. So they make single circuit boards, and if anything goes wrong, you put it in the garbage. You lose all your data, you lose all your work, you lose everything, you put the computer in the garbage. No upgrades, no repairs. So they said, look, if we're not allowed to repair these things, nobody is. We're going to design them to be throwaway paper cups, and we'll keep the price nice and high. Uh, you know, So it looks like it's a good product. We'll keep the price as high as it always has been, but now it's a throwaway paper cup. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Apple's lobbied aggressively for its refusal to allow third parties access to their, their uh, repair stuff. And by the way, shout out to iFixit. I knew them back when they were a tiny place. I worked for a tiny Mac place, and at the time they were a tiny Mac place, and we would help each other out. So ifixit.com, uh, iFixit, like it sounds. Um, they have blown up because they have crowdsourced, right? Their, their users have contributed take-apart guides, where if Apple doesn't provide a take-apart uh, manual for taking apart your Mac, I, I took apart a Mac the other day and I used one of their guides, and they they now provide that to fight against Apple. They teach you how to take apart your Apple products, at least the older ones where you're allowed to, uh, in order to fight Apple, so that's beautiful. Keep fighting Apple, uh, keep, uh, keep, yeah, keep going, I fix it. And you can visit them if you need to fix one of your Apple products. Um, 
The line from tractors to telephones runs right through our increasingly connected and computer-managed cars. I'm somehow heartened to see conservative groups as the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Corn Growers Association, working with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which, I mean, EFF, I like them. They're kind of libertarian where they're they're anti-big government and anti-big business. Um, so that's kind of neat. I Electronic Frontier Foundation's cool, EFF.org. Um, so that's kind of nice here. They're all working together to fight this because, in, in my opinion, everything big is bad, right? Big business, big government, big tech. It's not, it's not the, you know, in which, which sector they're in, that's the problem, right? It's not all government's bad, all business is bad, all tech is bad. It's big. It's size is bad. Okay, folks. So that's my personal opinion on that. And once you receive that enlightenment, right? For years and years and years, I have contemplated this and absolutely, it's it's not the nature of it, it's the size of it that matters. So if it's too big, it's cumbersome, and it's ungainly, and that's the real deal. Um, so they're fighting big whatever. They're coming together to fight anything that's too big. So these um, farm organizations are teaming up with the EFF to petition the U.S. Copyright Office to exempt the farm equipment from the anti-modification provisions of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is actually the dumbest law ever. Uh, and I wrote about this in my book, uh, you know, as, as I said, the anti-piracy stuff. The Digital Millennium Copyright Act is the dumbest thing in the universe. It aims to pr uh, protect software and prevent piracy, but it is utterly unable to do so and it can only penalize people trying to do the right thing if you want to break in and pirate things you can get away with it you can do so with impunity so um this is a very key point here they're not calling for reforms and calling for new laws right they're calling for exceptions in this extremely dumb law okay and as y'all learned uh, last episode with our our guy from capitol hill um, yeah, you can do something about it. And in this case, they're doing the right thing, which is, hey, can we chop this law a little bit? Um, yeah, so, and again, I'm, so y'all better remind me, I'm going to keep uh, lobbying here for, um, for more awareness, right? And, and, and talking to people about this stuff and setting the record straight. He says, I completely understand that technology companies, and BMW is unquestionably one of those, need to know that their intellectual property is protected, and they need to secure against hacking. Well, my take on that is, look, anything open source is always safer by definition. Anything closed source, right, they're, they're doing it out of fear, right? They're squeezing and squeezing, and we need to protect ourselves out of fear from hacking. Anything that's closed sourced is innately less secure okay but a lot of people don't know that so there you go chris um while diving into one of the many computerized control units on the new bmw m5 to try to improve performance is very far outside the range of something i'd want to try but steve dynan might think otherwise right he modifies bmws and many smart farmers wish not only to repair their state-of-the-art farm equipment but also to modify it and suit the very specific conditions on their land like i said those in charge of getting to the right legislative dispensation have a hard row to hoe so that's where the name of the article comes from um yeah 
so that's actually all the notes that I jotted in the side here are actually I've already mentioned my take on that so there you go that is my take on that let's do let's see I got a couple more articles do those next time so that's it for today stay tuned for next episode and we'll go over more articles and digest more of them and, and flush out this backlog my name is Mark Anthony Arena. Take a look at my newly remodeled website, thecomputerexorcist.com. And my old site was technosophy.com, and thecomputerexorcist.com would point to there, but now it's the other way around, where my new site is thecomputerexorcist.com, and thetechnosophy.com just points to it. So I'm kind of gradually moving toward that new brand name. Um, thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends about the show. Buy my book for all your friends. If you go on my new website, you'll see the link where you can buy hoodies and coffee mugs that say you are a fan of The Computer Exorcist. And we'll talk to you next time.